Welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teens at pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. I guess I'll talk now. And I'm Julia. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot we do it back and forth. I was just really digging into my late night radio Delilah voice. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to misinformation. Um, So remember we were talking about, just quick side note. Remember we were talking about um, the uh, Elizabeth Holmes documentary, the blood thing? Bad blood. Bad blood. And I finally watched it. And the thing that struck me and made me laugh through the entire thing was her super deep voice when she would talk like this and really believed that everyone thought her voice was this deep. Which is very reminiscent of when Tina Fey on 30 Rock is trying to get out of jury duty. Yes. And she dresses up like Princess Leia. (laughs) I don't think that it would be fair if I was on a jury because I'm a hologram. Yeah, that's her voice. 100% Elizabeth Holmes' voice. So... We were two and a half seconds in and Steve paused it and he goes, what is wrong with her voice? (laughs) It's like, see, she's not fooling anyone. She's crazy. I don't have a transition for that. (laughs) I'm sorry. I threw you off. That's on me. (laughs) So you know how sometimes there's like a trivia tidbit that you just like know that that's the answer. Yeah. And And you're just like, but I don't actually know what that thing is. Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> Most <laughs> yeah. of the time. Like the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Yeah, I don't know what it. that means. That's all I know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I decided to pick one of those type of things Great. this week. Um, so this week is called Right Out the Window, The Defenestrations of Prague. I think I'm ready to jump out the window. Straight, straight up. I don't think I know what this is. Right. Yeah. So, um, usually if anybody says the word defenestration, your automatic, like, Pavlovian yep. response is, ah, oh, It means Prague. throw out the window. Ah, uh, Czech Republic. Ah, yeah. uh, whatever. But, like, what the hell was this? Yeah. Okay. So, we start. Okay. We're talking about Bohemia and religion. Mm. Oh, ooh, So, okay. we're... We're, we've gone back in time. We're 600 years in the past right wow. now. Wow, okay. So the Kingdom of Bohemia, which is also sometimes translated as the Czech Kingdom, was a medieval and early modern monarchy in Central Europe. Um, it was the predecessor of the modern Czech Republic. It was an imperial state in the Holy Roman Empire. Okay. Um, that was a complex of territories in Western and Central Europe that developed during the early Middle Ages with Charlemagne and continued until it was dissolved in 1806 during the Napoleonic Wars. Um, anyway, the Kingdom of Bohemia was established by the Promislid dynasty in the 12th century from the Duchy of Bohemia. Uh, Bohemia's name comes from a Celtic people known as the Boai who were in the region around the 1st century BC. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, Bohemia was bounded on the south by Austria, on the west by Bavaria, on the north by Saxony and Lusatia, on the northeast by Silesia, and on the east by Moravia, just in case you hear any of those terms. Great. Um, In 1355, Charles of Luxembourg, the king of Bohemia, became Holy Roman Emperor Charles IV. Um, He's remembered for founding the University of Prague in 1348 and for increasing the boundaries and importance of Prague, uh, which he made the capital of the Holy Roman Empire. So basically from the mid-14th century on, Prague was a principal center of intellectual and artistic activity in Central Europe. Bohemia is the center 
where the Reformation began. So the Reformation oh. was the breakaway from Catholic Christendom. Um, that's where we find the theologian, martyr, and national hero Jean Hus in the early 15th century. Uh, without getting too much into it, Hus was burned at the stake for heresy against the doctrines Holy of the Catholic God. Church in 1415. Yikes. But Husites, they were a religious group who'd called for reform of the Catholic Church and equality between church officials, nobility, and peasants. Uh, they were a key predecessor to Protestantism and one of the most important forerunners of the Protestant Revolution. Um, it's important to note that there were multiple factions of Hussites who held different views and even opposed one another later on. Uh, the main categorizations were moderate Hussites who sought to conduct reform while leaving the whole hierarchical and liturgical order of the church untouched. And then there were radical Hussites who desired to return the church to its supposed condition during the time of the apostles, which meant removing the existing hierarchy and the secularization of ecclesiastical possessions. That seems like a tall order. Agreed. Yeah. Right. So, um, the moderate Hussites, if we're talking about them. So one large group under, under the moderate Hussites were the Utraquists. They were also called the Calixtines. So Utraquism, U-T-R-A-Q-U-I-S-M. It was a Christian dogma first proposed by Jacob of Mies, who was a professor of philosophy at the University of Prague in 1414. Um, it maintained that the Eucharist or communion should be administered, quote, in both kinds. So that's as both bread and wine to all congregation, including the lay people. Mm. So the practice among Roman Catholics at the time was for only the priests to partake the wine. Okay. So you could have, you know, if you were a common person going to church, you could get the bread of Christ, but you couldn't also get the wine that Drink was only the for yeah. the priest. So one big thing that they were pushing for was that you should be able to get both of them. Yeah. Um, so since communion is and was considered a sacrament in the Catholic Church, this was a big deal to them. Mm-hmm. So the name utriquism comes from the Latin sub utrec specie, meaning in both kinds. Um, and then calyx tines also comes from the Latin word for chalice, which is calyx. So you might see those. Oh, words. sure. Okay. So that's just a little background. That's all right. where we are. All right. Okay. This section is called Defenestration the First. Ooh. Right? Okay. It's July 30th, 1419. Oh, man. That's a very specific time. Yes. <laughs> um, Jan Zalivsky, a moderate Hussite Utrechtist priest at the Church of the Virgin Mary of Snows in Prague, was leading his congregation on a procession through the streets of Prague like to the new do. town hall in Charles Square. The town hall building dated from 1377, but new parts were added at the beginning of the 15th century, including a tall tower with a chapel inside and a large bell at the top. Okay. So this group, they wanted to have a word with the town councilors. Um, they had previously arrested several of Zalivsky's Hussite followers and were holding them in the tower of the town hall. Oh, jeez. Okay. While they were marching, there were other people in the street shouting at them, and a stone was thrown at the priest, Zalivsky, from the window of the town hall and allegedly hit him. So... The congregation with him, obviously, they did not like this. No. And they became an angry mob. So oh, they they stormed the town hall. Once inside, the group said, We didn't like we don't like this. Your people are bad. You took our people, you hid them, yeah. you're throwing stuff at us. So the burgomaster, who was the master of the town, really mm-hmm. the mayor, the judge, and several burgers or members of the town council were defenestrated. They threw them out they the window. They threw wind- them right out the ding-dang window. Oh, my gosh. Um, I should also note here that apparently the angry mob also had pitchforks and spears and were waiting at the base of the tower. So what? some of them went up and they were so mad at these counselors and they threw them out the window and then the other people were just down there. 
Oh my God, with sharp implements. Holding up their pitchforks. Oh no. So all of those thrown out the window were killed. Uh, Yeah. Okay. It was about seven seven people. That's still, that's kind of a lot of people. Yeah. Um, So King Wenceslas IV of Bohemia, upon hearing the news, was apparently stunned and died shortly thereafter, supposedly due to the shock. So this is what I love about the past, (laughs) is that people died like that. If you were surprised, if you were surprised, if if someone walked around a corner too quick and you were like, I didn't see you there, you could just drop, boom, drop dead. So weak willed, <laughs> such such weak constitutions we all had. Well, gird yours because okay. this is a, this, that was defenestration the first. Okay. Um, by the way, in July 2019, Prague cele- celebrated the 600th anniversary oh, no. of this event with a reenactment where they threw a medieval counselor out of the tower window. <laughs> Wait, like a real one? Oh, like I, a mannequin? I assume it is a mannequin, but I haven't seen any pictures. I just kept reading like a reenactment oh where my we God. threw a town councilor out of the window. So according to the press release that was released ahead of the event, quote, there will be a Hussite camp and a historical marketplace all day. Starting at 1 p.m., there will be period music and dancing, plus fencing demonstrations and displays of weapons. Many activities will be geared toward children and families. Oh quote, we want residents and visitors to the city district to spend the summer day with a return to the Middle Ages, the current uh, mayor said, don't do adding that. that while the event is historically controversial, it would be a mistake to ignore the anniversary. <laughs> it would be a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, if you go to Prague and you go to that um, to that building, they still do like they still throw somebody out about it. Yeah, yeah. So the first defenestration was the turning point between talk and action, leading to the prolonged Hussite Wars. So these wars broke out shortly afterward, around 1420, and they lasted until about 1436, as a series of wars between the Hussites and the combined Christian Catholic forces of the Holy Roman Empire, um, as well as the papacy and various European monarchs who were loyal to the Catholic Church. The Hussite Wars were arguably the first European war in which handheld gunpowder weapons, such as muskets, made a decisive contribution. Uh, The Hussite warriors were basically infantry and their many defeats of larger armies with heavily armored knights helped affect the infantry revolution. So in the end, though, it was essentially like an inconclusive war. So it happened for about 16 years. People were mad boom, about boom. religion. They shot each other and then they were like, all right. Nah. All right. It's winter now. Yeah. We're, <laughs> all right. We're done. Yeah. So this comes to defenestration the second. Jeez. Asterisk. Though some people tend to not count this one. Ooh, okay. So chronologically, this was the second defenestration. It happened on September 24th, 1483, under the reign of Vladislaus of the Jagolonian dynasty. Ooh. So the Hussites, who were feeling jeopardized by Catholics and claiming to have discovered a conspiracy among the town councilors who dominated the town hall, overthrew the municipal governments of the old, new, and lesser towns, which were the different divisions of Prague. So the old town councilor was thrown out of the window. And then they stormed the recently restored monasteries, killed some of the monks, and then leveled those symbols of the Catholic Church. So, I mean, I guess seven people died. This didn't really have much of an impact, though. I mean, like, besides to those seven town councilors. Yeah, they died. Um, on October 6, 1483, which was, you know, a month, a couple weeks later, actually, three Prague municipalities signed a treaty on unity and common action, which led to religious reconciliation and the declaration of equality of both churches. So Catholics and U- Utrechtist Hussites at the religious peace of Kutnahora in 1485. So religious peace and tolerance helped for the development of the land, but it contributed to the future conflicts of interest between middle class and nobility. So 
That one, some people don't count it. Okay, because it didn't, because nothing, nothing. there wasn't happened. like a revolution no. afterwards or a war or anything. No. It was just, that happened. Right. Okay. A hundred years after Jan Hus, Martin Luther in Saxony started a much more wide-ranging religious movement. Uh, remember those 95 theses? Yeah, hell From yeah. 1517? Also called the Disputation on the Power of Indulgences. Professor of Moral Philosophy Martin Luther listed his positions against what he saw as an abuse of the practice of the clergy selling plenary indulgences. Those were certificates believed to reduce one's length of stay in purgatory for one's sins. Um, so Lauren talked a little about purgatory in episode 47 burn baby burn dante's inferno check it out under abuses of the system of indulgences clergy benefited by selling indulgences and the pope gave official sanction in exchange for a fee luther argued that indulgences led christians to avoid true repentance for their sins and true Uh, sorrow believing that they could just forgo it by purchasing an indulgence exactly Um, so he thought that these indulgences also discouraged christians from giving to the poor and performing other acts of mercy believing that the indulgence certificates were more spiritually valuable Um, so luther sent the theses with a letter to albert of Brandenburg, who is our ship Bishop of Mainz on October 31st, 1517, a date now considered the start of the Reformation and commemorated annually as Reformation Day. Uh, Luther may have also posted the theses on the door of All Saints Church and other churches in Wittenberg in accordance with university custom on October 31st or by mid-November that year. The theses were quickly reprinted, translated, and distributed throughout Germany and Europe. But a century after Luther, other teachers throughout Europe followed with their own versions of Protestantism, and by 1618, the empire had become not only a political patchwork, but also a religious mishmash of states following the doctrines of not only Martin Luther, but also John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli of Switzerland, and various Anabaptist leaders. Um, Anabaptists were a fringe movement of the Reformation who were opposed to infant baptism and believed in the separation of church and state. They considered adult baptism to be the only proper form of baptism. Mm. In 1609, Holy Roman Emperor Rudolf II issued a document titled The Letter of Majesty, which granted religious tolerance to both Protestant and Catholic citizens living in the estates of Bohemia. This is an important document. All was well until Ferdinand, Archduke of Austria, was elected King of Bohemia in 1617. And just two years later, he would become Emperor Ferdinand II. Ferdinand believed with all his heart that dynastic, territorial, and religious unity were inseparable. He never deviated from his conviction that he had a divine calling to restore the glory days of the Catholic Empire. So, as far as Bohemia was concerned, Ferdinand had a more material interest with its flourishing agricultural, mercantile, and industrial activities, not to mention its gold and silver mining. Bohemia was the wealthiest province and a vital contributor to the imperial coffers. All of this was known to the national leaders in Prague who viewed the new regime with apprehension. The question on everyone's minds was whether Ferdinand would honor the letter of majesty, which was going to grant religious tolerance to both Catholics and Protestants. Um, The new king gave formal assurances that he would do so, but... Surprise, this was a lie oh, no. intended to put the nationalists off their guard and to buy time until he was ready to strike. Oh, my goodness. So this brings us to Defenestration the Third. Wow, But so also later. since the one right before this wasn't a big deal, this might also sometimes be called the Second Defenestration of Prague. Okay. In 1617, the Lutherans, they wanted to erect two new places of worship. This was a freedom that was covered by the letter of majesty. But the king sequestered the land that they planned to build on and instead gave it to the Catholic Church. And when the local people staged a protest, the Catholic deputy governors arrested them. 
In response, the defensors, appointed under the letter of majesty to safeguard the Protestant rights, called an assembly of Protestants at Prague. They were planning to accuse the king of infringing their rights to own property and to enjoy freedom of worship. Yeah. The Protestant leaders demanded the release of the prisoners, and when this was refused, they campaigned throughout the land for their supporters to converge on Prague for a mass demonstration to take place on May 23rd, 1618. Four Catholic lords regent, who are Count Yaroslav Martinis, Count Willem Slavada, Adam II von Sternberg, and Matthew Leopold Popel Lobkowitz, who was the Grand Prior, arrived at Prague Castle at 8.30 in the morning. Oh, no. Everybody's going to die. <laughs> After preparing the meeting hall, members of the dissolved assembly of the three main... Protestant estates gathered at 9 o'clock a.m., led by a man named Count Thurn. Oh, yeah, that's a bad, that's a bad The sign. Protestant Lord's agenda was to clarify whether the four regents present were responsible for persuading the emperor to order the cessation of the Protestant church construction on royal land. So the, the two Lutheran churches that wanted to build, and then yeah. the emperor was like, nope, and he gave that thing to the, to the Catholics instead. So this was to see whether these four Lord's regent were responsible for this. I see. So the Protestant leaders demanded to know whether Ferdinand had ordered his Bohemian subjects to bow to his will on the pain of death or whether the Catholic deputies had encouraged him to adopt the stance. Two of the deputies convinced their accusers of their innocence and were allowed to leave the church. Uh Uh-oh. That left behind Count Willem Slavata and Count Yaroslav Martinis. So Count Thurn addressed both Martinis and Slavata and said, quote, I guess, You are the enemies of us and of our religion, have desired to deprive us of our letter of majesty, have horribly plagued your Protestant subjects, and have tried to force them to adopt your religion against their wills or have had them expelled for this reason. Thurn then turned to his followers and urged them to show no mercy to the (gasps) men who had urged the king to wage religious war on his own Protestant subjects. They must not, he insisted, be allowed to escape with their lives. Wow. At those words, the mob again, angry, surged forward, pinning the deputies against the tall windows. Someone unfastened the casement and flung Martinis out the window. (laughs) Slavata apparently put up more of a fight and clung desperately to the window frame, but one of the assassins struck him with a blow on the head and he fell into the abyss. For good measure, the attackers took the deputy secretary, Philip Fabricius, and he tossed him out after him. Oh my God. These three men survived no. the 70-foot fall from the third what? floor. Catholics maintain the men were saved by angels or by the intercession of the Virgin Mary who caught them. Yes. Later, Protestant pamphleteers claimed that they survived because they had fallen onto a dung heap that was coincidentally under the window. <laughs> That sounds right. That sounds like good propaganda right there. Yeah. The secretary, Philip Fabricius, was later ennobled by the emperor and granted the title Baron von Hohenfall, meaning Baron of the High Fall. Okay. That's a little Mm -hmm. on the nose, but sure. So this all became a signal for the beginning of a Bohemian revolt. Okay. Immediately after the defenestration, the Protestant estates and Catholic Habsburgs started gathering allies for war. Sure. In 1619, Ferdinand II was elected Holy Roman Emperor, and at the same time, the Bohemian estates deposed him as King of Bohemia and replaced him with Frederick V, Elector Palatine, a leading Calvinist and son-in-law of the Protestant James VI and I, King of Scotland, England, and Ireland. Because they deposed a properly chosen king, the Protestants could not gather the international support that they needed for war. Oh, okay. 
Just two years after the defenestration here, Ferdinand and the Catholics regained power in the Battle of White Mountain on November 8th, 1620. There was plundering and pillaging in Prague for weeks following the battle. And several months later, 27 nobles and citizens were tortured and executed in the Old Town Square. Twelve of their heads were impaled on iron hooks and hung from the bridge tower as a warning. So this contributed to the resentment that gave rise to the Thirty Years' War. Heard of it? Yeah. Heard of it? Okay. So just quickly, during the Thirty Years' War, which took place between 1618 and 1648, different religious and political groups vied for control of Central Europe, killing more than 8 million people in oh the process. Oh, my God. The combatant nations lost between 25 and 40% of their populations to military oh. action, famine, and disease. Cities became empty, smoldering shells, and farmland took a generation to recover. Um, so... The third defenestration of Prague, sometimes called the second defenestration of Prague, was really like the event that sparked. Yeah, that did all the Thirty Years' War. Wow! All for throwing people out a window. It seems like such a a unique way Mm -hmm. that over the course of it seems like a very long time. Yeah, that they were like, "This is our thing. This is." This, this is, is how thing. we get rid of this is our thing. A religious persecutor. So with the first one, I think it was the combination of the height and also the people at the bottom with the pitchforks. No, I I agree with that you wholeheartedly. That seemed to be the whole thing there. Yeah. Um the second one they don't really count. It was a lot of people fighting and then maybe some people were already dead before they were thrown out the window oh, there. Okay. And then the third one, sometimes called the second one, the three guys were thrown out but they didn't die. But they did not die. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I wondered, so they opened the windows first and then threw them out. Yeah, It wasn't I like guess. a crash Like It feels like if you tried to throw them at the closed window that you would kind of be, I don't know. Also, it, glass is expensive. Yeah, you know, right? Especially in that time period. Exactly. You want to open it up first and then toss you, them out. You know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to finish this up with defenestration the fourth. What? So this term, defenestration, has also been used to describe the 20th century death of Jan Masaryk, who was the foreign minister of Czechoslovakia from 1940 to 1948. His body was found below the bathroom window of the building of the Czechoslovak Ministry of Foreign Affairs on March 10th, 1948. The official report listed his death as a suicide. However, it was widely believed that he was murdered, either by the newly forming communist government in which Masaryk served as a nonpartisan foreign minister or by the Soviet secret services. A Prague police report in 2004 concluded, after forensic research, that Masaryk had indeed been defenestrated to his death. The highest-ranking Soviet bloc intelligence defector, Lieutenant General Ion Mahai Pasepa, described his conversation with Nikolai Ceausescu, who told him about 10 international leaders the Kremlin killed or tried to kill, and Jan Masaryk was one of them. Oh, my God. So a little bit of, a little, little bit gossip here, I think. Yeah. So I first learned about Jan Masaryk when I was working at the um, university, um, at at the University of Pittsburgh's Nationality Rooms program. Oh, yeah. Okay. So if you haven't been there before, it's, it's so in the cool. Cathedral of Learning. They have all of these like classrooms that are based on different nationalities that help to settle the city of Pittsburgh. It's very cool. So in its like entire history, the Nationality Rooms program, which was founded in the 1930s at Pitt, has only had two directors. Um, the first one, um, Ruth Crawford Mitchell, was there for like 40 years. And then the current one, Maxine Bruins, she's been there for like another 40 years. So Ruth Crawford Mitchell had an affair with Jan Masaryk. (gasps) 
No, she did she not. She did. What? And part of like her memoirs, she talks about like this relationship that she had with him. And when um, when he was found killed, she was one of the people that was like, no, he definitely didn't commit suicide. Because he was like in his pajamas. Like, yeah. you know, why would someone of that like high esteem like want to be seen? Throw himself out exactly. the window in his pajamas. You yeah. know what I mean? Man, those Czechoslovaks really love throwing people they out do. The window. They do. So I think the moral of this whole story here is if you're in Prague, just maybe stay on the ground floor. Yeah, stay on the ground floor. Just in case you get defenestrated. It's terrible. Wow, that was amazing. So that's that's the story behind all that. That was great. I had no idea. Thank you, Julia. That was a lot wonderful. of religion. Yeah. A lot of religion. That's like just the history of Europe right yeah. there. Is just Protestants and Catholics. That's it. Yep. Yeah. All right. So our quiz is called Windows to the Soul. Ooh. A quiz on the human eye and the history of the Microsoft Corporation. Wow. Question one. Microsoft was founded in April 1975 by childhood friends Bill Gates and Paul Allen in which U.S. city where Bugs Bunny should have made a left turn? Question two. A photoreceptor cell is a specialized type of neuroepithelial cell found in the retina that is capable of visual phototransduction. That's basically where light is converted into electrical signals in the rods, cones, and photosensitive ganglion cells. Which of those three are responsible for color vision functioning best in bright light? Question three. Order, order. Microsoft's intelligent assistant, named after the AI companion from the Halo video game franchise, is called what? Question four. What is the abbreviation for the phase of sleep in which a person is likely to dream vividly, accompanied by sharp electrical bursts in the brainstem, which might cause sleep researchers to ask, what's that frequency? Question five. It looks like you're writing some trivia questions. Introduced by Microsoft in 1996, what was the name of the bouncing sentient mascot designed to help users hone their word processing skills? Question six. True or false? In humans, there is actually no such thing as blue or green pigments in the iris of the eye. Question seven. Here's a three-part question. I'll name a Microsoft operating system and you tell me the year it was released. First, Windows 95. Second, Windows 98. Third, Windows XP. Question eight. I was going to ask something about eye diseases here, but I changed my mind. Instead, tell me the six-letter term for the white part of the eye, the opaque, fibrous outer layer that contrasts with the iris in humans. Question nine. The first CEO of Microsoft was Bill Gates. The current CEO is Satya Nadella, who has been in that role at Microsoft since 2014. Which American businessman and sort of aptly named owner of the Los Angeles Clippers is the only other person to have held that role? And question 10. Jane is 55 years old and has negative three diopters of myopia in both eyes. Her ophthalmologist recommends that she get a photorefractive keratectomy and is instructed to stop wearing her contact lenses for five to 10 days before surgery. Your question? What does the A in LASIK stand for? I'll give you about a minute to think, and we'll be back with your answers. 
Tim Ocknam. I think I got it. All right. Feeling good. I'm feeling pretty good about eyeballs. I'm feeling pretty good less about so eyeballs. About computers? Yeah, less so about right. computers. Question one. Microsoft was founded in April 1975 by childhood friends Bill Gates and Paul Allen. In which U.S. city were Bugs Bunny should have made a left turn? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know a lot about Bugs Bunny. So I'm going to go with a funny city name that sounds like something Bugs Bunny would say. And I'm going to go with Kalamazoo. Oh, oh I was damn. hoping you would get it. I was hoping you would get it. Microsoft was founded in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Get out. Mm-hmm. Huh. Albuquerque. You know what? That would have been a good guess. You're right. That's a, that's a <laughs> frequent Bugs Bunny line. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should have made a left at Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah. I don't Very, know why he turned into a... It's all right. Eh. Borscht Belt. Yes. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> so Bill Gates and Paul Allen co-founded the company to develop and sell basic interpreters for the micro-instrumentation and telemetry systems, Altair 8800 microcomputer, also abbreviated MITS. Um, so Gates and Allen had gone to Albuquerque, New Mexico to demonstrate their interpreter to MITS, who loved it and agreed to distribute it, marketing it as Altair Basic. So they were in New Mexico for more than three years before Microsoft moved its headquarters to Bellevue, Washington in January 1979. Um, Gates and Allen had founded their first company in 1972. They named it Trafodata, which sold a rudimentary computer to track and analyze automobile traffic data. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. Trafodata. Trafodata. The first company from Bill Gates and Paul Allen. All right. Question two. A photoreceptor cell is a specialized type of neuroepithelial cell found in the retina that is capable of visual phototransduction. That's basically where light is converted into electrical signals in the rods, cones, and photosensitive ganglion cells. Which of those three are responsible for color vision functioning best in bright light? So my my options are rods, rods cones, cones ganglion. photosensitive ganglion cells. Okay. I'm going to say... Cones. Is it cones? It's cones! Yes! It's easy to remember because cones starts with CO and so does color. So does color. Yes. That's great. So the human eye can differentiate about 10 million colors. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Huh. Uh, so cones are for color and function best in bright light. Rods are almost entirely responsible for night vision and they function best in dim light. And the third kind, photosensitive retinal ganglion cells, play a role in syncing your circadian rhythm. They contribute to your pupil size um, and your behavioral responses, as well as the regulation of the hormone melatonin. Oh, oh, yeah, to help you sleep. Yep. Okay, that's cool. I like that. There's a lot of stuff in your eyes. Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) I don't like thinking about it. (laughs) Question three. Order, order. Microsoft's intelligent assistant, named after the AI companion from the Halo video game franchise, is called what? That's Cortana. It's Cortana. According to Microsoft's By the Numbers website, more than 18 billion with a B questions have been asked to Cortana since she launched in 2014. Boy, I bet a lot of those were real weird. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Question four. 
What is the abbreviation for the phase of sleep in which a person is likely to dream vividly, accompanied by sharp electrical bursts in the brainstem, which might cause sleep researchers to ask, what's that frequency? That's a very good clue. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's REM or REM sleep. Yes. (laughs) So REM, rapid eye movement. Uh, Brain energy use in REM sleep as measured by oxygen and glucose metabolism equals or exceeds energy use in waking. So your brain is more active while you're in REM sleep than it is when you are awake. That's why I have such weird dreams. I have weird dreams. Me too. Yeah. Mine are all murder related. Yeah, your, yours are very violent. Mine are just strange. <laughs> <laughs> um, congenitally blind people who do not typically have visual imagery in their dreams still move their eyes while they're in REM sleep. Oh my God, that's cool. Um, and related, the band REM did indeed name themselves after this in 1980, after previously deciding on the name Twisted Kites among others. They had a list of like names that they were opting to pick from. Some of them are very gross and I wouldn't say them on national radio. (laughs) Which is what this is, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I won't force you to do it. I'll Google it later. Their previous name was Twisted Kites. Question five. It looks like you're writing some trivia questions. Introduced by Microsoft in 1996, what was the name of the bouncing sentient mascot designed to help users hone their word processing skills? Uh, That's Clippy. (laughs) It's Clippy. Uh, He lasted from 1996 until 2007 officially. Um, Though he lacked any genitalia, Clippy was labeled male by Microsoft. By the way, not safe for work. In 2015, author Leonard Delaney self-published. No, no. Conquered by Clippy, no. <laughs> a 16-page erotic short story no. about a paperclip who oh. copulates with a human. No, no! <laughs> what God has wrought? <laughs> what? Delaney also wrote another super sexy thriller called No, <laughs> no. Taken by Tetris Blocks. No, stop it. This fool needs to stop he needs to get his computer taken away from him that's cortana <laughs> can you take this guy's computer take away, it away. ew yuck that's what i have to say to that what you're gross <laughs> what's wrong with you <laughs> conquered by clippy no oh. 16 pages six i how did you get to 16 that's a lot that's a lot more than I was expecting. Got conquered, Lauren. <laughs> oh, oh, I hate it. <laughs> Question six. Okay, okay. True or false? In humans, there is actually no such thing as blue or green pigments in the iris. I'm going to say false because that is actually, um, that's uh, mel- melanin. The brown in your eye is melanin, and the lack of it is just your muscles and things, right? Is it false? So the statement, in humans, <laughs> there is no such thing as blue or green pigments in the eyes. True, yes. There are no such things as blue or green pigments yes. in the eyes. So in humans, the pigmentation of the iris varies from light brown to black, depending on the concentration of melanin and the iris pigment epithelium, which is located on the back of the iris. Um, the melanin content within the iris stroma that's related at the f- that's located at the front of the iris and the cellular density of the stroma. So the appearance of blue and green, as well as hazel eyes, results from the Tyndall scattering of light in the st- 
Stroma, a phenomenon similar to that which accounts for the blueness of the sky that's called Rayleigh scattering. Rayleigh scattering, yeah. exactly. So neither blue nor green pigments are ever actually present in the human iris or ocular fluid. Eye color is an instance of structural color and varies depending on the lighting conditions, especially for lighter colored eyes. Um, and just extra info, the limbal ring is the dark mm-hmm. ring around the iris of the eye. It's a dark colored manifestation of the corneal limbus resulting from optical properties of the region. Yeah. And that limbal like, outline, if um, it's a sign of youth mm-hmm. because it starts to fade, it starts to like bleed not bleed obviously but like the color starts to kind of fade out mm-hmm. as you get older so if you have a very strong limbal ring like the the contrast between your eye color and the limbal ring if it's a high contrast you're seen as youthful which is why in advertising when you see models especially models close up regardless of what the eye color of the model is they always lighten the iris eye to make that limbal ring look young and that's why you see a lot of co- colored contacts that have that as yep. a very like prominent yeah it's like feature. a weird biological yeah. thing that we can like you know p- point out in our own brains a lot of stuff happening in your eyeballs stuff in your eyeballs question seven three-part question i'll name a microsoft operating system and you tell me the year it was released okay first windows 95 i'm gonna say 1995 it was released on august 24th 1995 great second windows 98 i'm gonna say 1998 it was released on June 25th, 1998. Okay. And then finally, Windows XP. I'm going to say 2001. You got it. Yes. Yes. October 25th, 2001. Great job. All right. Question eight. I was going to ask something about eye diseases here, but I changed my mind. Yeah. Um, instead, tell me the six-letter term for the white part of the eye, the opaque, fibrous outer layer that contrasts with the iris in humans. I am so proud of this that I managed to pull this out. Is it called the sclera? It is the sclera. Yes! I know a lot about eyeballs. Wow. So human eyes are somewhat distinctive in the animal kingdom in that the sclera is very plainly visible whenever the eye is open. Mm -hmm. It's believed that the conspicuous sclera of the human eye makes it easier for one individual to identify where another individual is looking, increasing the the efficiency of this particular form of nonverbal communication. So like when you're like giving the, you know, (laughs) like the signal. Yeah. Like that's what that's for, nonverbal communication. It's so amazing. animal researchers have also found that in the course of their domestication, dogs have also developed the ability to pick up visual cues from the eyes of humans. That is the coolest thing. Dogs are the best. Dogs are the best. Yeah. But yeah, that's why when you, when you see like other creatures in the animal kingdom, they don't, they don't, their eyes don't look like ours do. No. And horses don't have whites. They don't have white sclera. So when you see like, you know, like images of horses or Mm -hmm. when you see a horse like rear up and they they have like the wild eyes, what you're actually seeing is not the white of their eyes when their eyes are wide open. It's like the pink inner like muscle of your eye. Like if you, if you widen your eye too much, um, but because from a distance, it looks like a white. Yeah. It's wild. Horses also have the largest eyeballs of any land animal. Oh, in relative to their size? No, at all. At all? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Ew. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of eyeball stuff. Question nine. 
The first CEO of Microsoft was Bill Gates. The current CEO is Satya Nadella, who has been in that role at Microsoft since 2014. Which American businessman and sort of aptly named owner of the Los Angeles Clippers is the only other person to have held that position? I I don't know. I couldn't begin I couldn't begin to guess. Who is this? His name is Steve Ballmer. Uh, Balmer? Balmer. Like Baltimore, but Balmer? No, like, like baller with an M in it. Oh, I see, I see. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard of this person. Okay, well, he was CEO of Microsoft from 2000 to 2014. Wow. Um, he joined Microsoft in 1980 as its 30th employee, earning a $50,000 salary with 5 to 10% of the company as part uh, of his, like, compensation. Uh, so after the company was incorporated, he owned 8% of it. And as of April 2019, his personal wealth is estimated at $51.3 billion, making him the 19th richest person in the world. That's too much money. No. Steve Ballmer. Ballmer. Owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. Well, there you go. Basketball team of the National Basketball Association. Association. There you go. One of the four main sports league are you we just in- gonna keep expanding are <laughs> <laughs> we just gonna keep going out I'd go all night <laughs> and finally question 10 what does the a in lasik stand for um the a in lasik stands for assisted it does yes lasik l-a-s-i-k stands for laser assisted in situ keratomelusis which is weird because the I and the S are flipped if you if you look at it like that. Yeah. But hey, um, it's a corneal reshaping procedure. Yep. Uh, it's performed by lifting the front surface of the eye and forming a thin hinged flap yep. under which the shape of the cornea is changed by using an ultraviolet laser or other surgical device. Quick bonus for you. What? What does laser stand for? Um, ooh, I don't know. I was going to say laser assisted, <laughs> but no. <laughs> Um, I did know it at one point. Uh, what is it? Laser stands for light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. Oh, okay. Cool. I'm sure Steve knows that. I mean, he works with lasers all the time. You should go home and ask him. I will. And he'll tell me. Uh, I'm thinking I'm going to get LASIK next year. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to do it. Cause I got those bad eyes and I talked to my eye doctor and he said, the guy who does it here in Rochester is the best in like the world. Great. And he was like, if you can get LASIK from this guy, he was like, I would trust him with my eyeballs. And I was like, that's all I need to hear. So get ready to put drops in my eyes, Jewel, because I'm going to do it. (laughs) Yeah. I guess one of the side effects is that your eyes tend to be kind of dry afterwards. A little dry, uh, but that's like the only side effect. Great. Yeah. As long as you can see better. Yeah. That's all that matters really. Great job. Thanks. Well, you, great job to you about throwing people out of windows and eyeballs in Microsoft. Three things I never thought I would see in the same sentence. <laughs> um, so uh, if you would like to tell us about your LASIK, uh, actually, please tell me about your LASIK experience. I would like to know. I think I want to get it. Um, or, you know, like email us or whatever. Um, if you would like to get in contact with us, you can email us at misinfopod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at misinfopod on Twitter. 
You can visit us on our Facebook page, Misinformation, colon, a trivia podcast. And uh, I don't know, if you just want to hang out on our website, it's tripledup.misinfopod.com. We should put a chat room on yeah. our website. <laughs> no, that would just, you know, the the bots would just swarm. 1997. Yeah, we can have people just, that's where they can drop their slash fic for like <laughs> Harry Potter and stuff. Or paper clips. clips. Yeah, your slash fic between Tetris and Clippy. You freaks. You freak leaks. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. (laughs) Oh, okay. End of of conversation. End of conversation. Um, Yeah, please rate, review, and subscribe, friends. And tell one of your friends. Yeah, tell one of your friends. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. And uh, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Stay on the ground floor. Yes, please. Bye. Bye.